0: Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey.
1: Our marriages in the church as a result of our knowledge and our relationship with Christ should be materially better, different than those that are not walking with Christ.
0: Well, having a good marriage is a great goal, but do you sometimes feel like it's really difficult to achieve? We have some encouragement for you today along those lines on Focus on the Family and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John
2: Fuller. John, we have a fascinating message today from Dr. Bob Paul of our Hope Restored Marriage Intensives and his wife, Jenny. They're going to help us to see how hidden issues from our past can sabotage our marriage and why we can often feel like all of our disagreements end up covering the same ground. Mm -hmm. And they're actually going to dissect one of their recent arguments point by point so you can hear what they were feeling but not really saying. Yeah, and just like an iceberg, ninety percent of the problem seems to be under the waterline,
0: and uh, this is going to be instructive and very helpful. Here's Bob Paul and his wife Jenny speaking at an event for supporters of Focus on the Family.
1: We are so excited to be here with you guys. We have the opportunity to be part of something miraculous that is happening uh, through Hope Restored, through Focus on the Family, every single day. And guys, we get that we would not be able. To do this if it wasn't for you. I hope you know how much we feel uh, your support and your partnership with us. Um, God is using you in amazing ways and the miracles that we see taking place at Hope Restored every single day are astounding. And you know the interesting thing we've learned over the years is it's virtually never the people that are the problem. We are led to, by, by well-meaning people, we are led to pursue ideas and strategies for our relationships that cannot work, and we don't realize that because they've been told to us by people that we've trusted, and we have people coming to us every week with that going on and we get to unravel that, and many times there's spiritual issues that are there, and we're mostly working with Christians, but it's so interesting, I get the opportunity to tell you that a few weeks ago, I was working with a couple, and the guy has known the Lord for many years, known of him, practicing self-professing Christian, studying the word, but what he discovered in the intensive, and this isn't that uncommon, was that he actually didn't understand what it meant to have a personal relationship with Christ. And he was, he was there for counseling for his marriage, and he found the Lord. And you gotta believe that that's gonna make a major difference in his relationship. And we have been learning so much about God's design for marriage, and what happens and what it looks like when people get out of line with God. And they're confused because they don't understand because they're believing and they're pursuing what they've been taught, and they don't understand why it's not working. And as a result of what we've learned and the tools and the techniques that we have, we have, to my knowledge, the highest success rate in the world working with couples who are in crisis. And we see miracles occurring. Yeah, give God a hand for that. To date, we've worked with over 9,000 couples from every state in the United States and over 30 foreign countries. And I just sit back in awe. Mm-hmm. So, these lies have resulted in us. Greg Smalley and I produced a book last year, Nine Lies That Will Destroy Your Marriage and the Truths That Will Save It and Set It Free. And, that's the, and the, the model that has emerged over these years is embedded in this book And the lies are on the surface and then we show how the truth actually can be a source of restoration, of healing, of growth, and of discovery. So today, what Jenny and I wanna share with you is something that we've realized is actually a way that people get lost and misguided. And it's really common because what we wanna share with you is something we've learned that is underlying all conflicts in marriage everybody is dealing with this exact cycle. The details will be a little different because we're different, Mm -hmm. and you're different from us. But the cycle itself that is underlying it is true for everybody. When we first discovered this, we didn't know it applied to everybody. And I'm telling you, when you finally realize you've been led to something, you've been given something that applies to everybody, it's gold. So what we want to do is spend a little bit of time of... um, unpacking that for you and helping you to see, like we've learned, why when you get into conflict with your spouse, it virtually doesn't matter what you're arguing about, there will be an eerily familiar feeling to it. It's like, wow, we're talking about something different. We're arguing about something different. Why does it feel so much like the last time? And we want to be able to flesh that out and let you see that.
3: You know, that's because uh, the problem is rarely the problem. A conflict is more than the topic, and the process, uh, there's a process going on beneath the surface. In fact, we kind of like to look at it this way the issue on top is not the whole issue.
1: And that's the part we see. The part that we see commonly going on between us is only the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that really matters that's going on below.
3: So what is going on beneath the surface? Uh, We're going to show you, give you kind of a little peek about a conflict. Well, we have lots of conflicts, so we're going to just pick one. Okay. (laughs) One conflict, and we're going to use that. We're going to start with the above the surface issue, and then we're going to go deeper with it and kind of take you with us. All right, so um, this issue started because uh, I was playing a game on my phone, and this game happened to have teams, and usually just a person kind of makes up a team and becomes the leader. It's not like any qualification. So I'm on this team, and as I'm, as I'm playing on the team, there's 50 people. I noticed like 20 of them are not playing, and I'm like, wow, I wonder what's going on. I'm kind of new to this and such, and so I just chatted in the chat box. Hey, you guys, you know, I noticed you weren't playing. Is there anything I can do? Well, the leader wasn't really happy with that, and she disciplined me in the chat box in front of everyone. Yeah, it was public. It was public, and so I was like, "Oh wow, well, I'm not six years old, <laughs> and I'm not her child." That was really, you know, hard. So I just, you know, chatted back and said, um, you know, just encouraging them, no big deal. And she uh, chatted another one back that was even more severe. And I was like, wow, that was painful. So I told Bob, I was like, Bob, man, can you believe what she said? I mean, first it was like I was six years old, and this one's more like two, you know, like I'm an out of control, you know, two year old. And um, so anyway, so Bob then... said so
1: I see my <laughs> wife hurting. Yeah. And you know, she's clearly disturbed by this. So as a normal male, not leaning on any of my knowledge as a therapist. Okay? <laughs> uh, what do you think my response was? Well, I wanted to come up with something to help fix the problem. Okay, now, when, I, when I'm in my, my professional mode, I know better than this, but in that moment, I was just being Bob the husband and I see my wife hurting. So I thought maybe it would be helpful to help her to think about what might've been going on for this gal, you know, so that she would be able to maybe just not take it so hard and so forth. And, and, and it, and for it comes reason, out. It, it didn't land well. It
3: didn't at oh, all because it came out like I had said something that was wrong and she was right in reprimanding me. That's how it came out. And so now, notice that we're gonna have a conflict based on, on that belief system that happened between the two of us, but the, the whole issue started outside of the marriage. You know, often when conflict happens, it's something that happened with the kids or something in the car, something at work, and then you get home and you start sharing about it and something below the, uh, the iceberg, System, you know, goes on. So we started into an argument, and it kind of looked like this on on what we give the couples the chart.
1: Yeah. So what we're going to show you now is what we understand in hindsight was going on below the waterline, because obviously there was plenty going on for each of us that we were oblivious to at the moment. So we're going to take you below the waterline for Bob and Jenny. So um, this is what we call a reactive cycle. Okay, and um, as you can see me at the top there, um, I've got a series of uh, fears. Now, that, that's relevant, obviously, here. We call them buttons, triggers, things that, you know, you, you, we've all got them. You cannot survive any length of time in this fallen world without getting stung, okay? So we all acquire these bruises, these wounds along the way. And here's some of mine. I, I hate feeling controlled, I hate feeling helpless and powerless. I hate feeling inadequate, misportrayed, or misunderstood. And I react even in the, the anticipation of feeling those things, I hate those feelings enough. When the button gets pushed, I will knee-jerk react. It doesn't take any thought, any deliberation. I will do things like I will complain, get defensive, go into fix-it mode, lecture, and talk about who's right and who's wrong now what I really want however is to feel accurately portrayed I like to feel successful hate failure Uh, I love feeling of experience of partnership uh, passion and uh, want to feel wanted so that's a little bit about what's going on below the surface for me how about for you
3: I mean I've got a lot of buttons but uh, I don't like being controlled uh, suppressed invalidated judged and ignored and typically when those get hit Uh, I react uh, sometimes in anger or blame. I might get defensive and explain myself. Uh, I might judge or I might go to who's wrong or who did what, you know, right, wrong kind of a thing. Really, really what I want in the relationship is I want to feel heard and I want support. I want approval to exist. Uh, I want value to exist and I want validation of who I am.
1: So here's, now you know a little bit about us. There's plenty more than that, but we had to condense it to fit it onto our little map here, all right? So this is what happens. So Jenny is reacting, and I see that she's upset. And when... And I feel this in a lot of different ways, but it's always worse if it's any one of the three most significant women in my life, my wife or my two daughters. I don't manage that well. I manage tears. We have Kleenex all over the place in my office. I always tell people their tears are welcome, and I really believe that, unless it's my wife or my two daughters, and then inside I start freaking out because I love these people and they matter so greatly to me. So I see that and I don't know what to do and and it taps my helpless, powerless button. And I instantly, without even thinking, go into fix-it mode. Now here's where it gets weird and this is what's so bizarre that this happens with couples all the time. When I go into fix-it mode, what happened to you?
3: Well, for me, when he goes into fix-it mode, I feel judged. I feel like he was telling me that I was the one at fault and I had done something. And when I started to, you know, react to that and started to talk to him and such, I started to, the words that came out were defensive words. I began to explain myself. That's really what being defensive is, is when you just start explaining what you did and such. Like, well, you know, she... I didn't really say anything wrong and she was the one that wrote down those statements and stuff and I was being really kind on the chat and I just kind of went into defensive mode
1: and I'm since I'm trying to be helpful and clearly it wasn't being perceived as helpful (laughs) I feel immediately misunderstood so my misunderstood button gets pushed (laughs) and then I get defensive because I want to explain that hey no 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 that's not what I meant which pushed her button
3: yeah, so I feel like, well, he's not listening to me, so I feel invalidated. What I just said is completely in- invalidated. And then I go into explaining who's right and who's wrong. And and I'm not talking about the lady on the game, I'm talking about us. <laughs> he's wrong and I'm right, so.
1: Yeah, so, so you can kind of see how this goes. This is what is so bizarre about this cycle. And I'm not, I don't wish, I don't know how it gets this way and why it's this way, but I just know it is this way for everybody. Mm-hmm. And we have couples, and, we, and we, we took it in super slow-mo now, okay, it really slowed it down. But guys, honestly, when this gets rolling between couples, it reminds me most of a 4th of July pinwheel. Yeah. You know, you light the fuse, and then all of a sudden they start to go, and it's spinning fast and sparks flying, mm-hmm. and that's common. Yeah. Now, sometimes couples are not like this, and it becomes like a cold war, and it's quiet but it's the same cycle underneath it.
0: This Focus on the Family broadcast will
2: continue in just a moment. Do you feel called to serve God in your career? Check out some of the exciting job opportunities we have at Focus on the Family. We're looking to fill positions in marketing, IT, and marriage counseling. Work with other talented believers, enjoy a meaningful, Christ-centered work environment, and use the skills God gave you to encourage others and help families thrive. To learn more, visit focusonthefamily.com slash careers. That's focusonthefamily.com slash careers.
1: Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always
3: be alone, even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always
1: dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to hoperestored.com today.
0: Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now
1: with the balance
0: of today's programming.
1: So what's actually going on? Okay, underlying this, what's really happening is that our brain processes emotional fear in the same way as physical fear. When we feel afraid, it doesn't even matter if something's actually there. The thought of something that worries us triggers the same Brain process, we call, it's what we call an amygdala hijack. The amygdala is a gland in your brain, and when it gets triggered, it sends a message out that, that releases hormones like, like uh, adrenaline and so forth that readies us into our fight-or-flight mode, okay? And um, really what happens is there's an amazing shift in blood flow. Any guess where the blood flows to? If you're gonna go into fight-or-flight mode, it goes to your arms and your legs to get you ready to fight or flee. Where does it go from? your brain. It leaves your brain to go to your extremities. You are physiologically handicapped to think clearly in that moment. There is no way that you can think clearly when the blood has left your brain, okay, and emotional intelligence goes out the window. So what's actually going on then with these buttons?
3: Yeah, um, what is it that's getting set off in you? And basically, buttons are past wounds that we we can ha- have new buttons develop as we grow. But typically, we bring most of our buttons with us into the relationship. So those are. Of- I came
1: with a pack of them to our marriage. <laughs> yeah.
3: Me too. Um, so, it's those past wounds that we feel when someone bubs into them and when they talk to us or something that they may do. It's kind of like if Bob had a bruise on his arm and then I walked by him and I happened to hit the bruise. Now, he might say to me, Jenny, golly, that hurt. Yeah, Don't what do you do think that. I'm
1: thinking yeah. at that point? I'm going, I feel the pain and I'm going, ouch, you hurt me. Yeah. That's immediately what I thought, cause and effect, right? But what's the truth? Did she hurt me? No, she just bumped my bruise. The bruise, the wound was already there. She tapped it, and sure, there is a bit of a cause and effect, but the magnitude of what I feel is greater because there was a pre-existing wound, and most of the buttons that you possess, you brought with you to the party, mm-hmm. and they get tapped regularly by your spouse. And do you have any guess... Who is more skilled at pushing my buttons than anybody on the planet?
3: I'll give you a hint.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, why do you think that is? Because she wants to hurt me? No, the truth is because nobody is closer. I don't let anybody get even close to the control panel. And she's so good at it, she frequently doesn't just push a button. She just leans on the whole control panel, <laughs> all the buttons depressed simultaneously, and my head just spins in place, okay? But it's because she's got access to it. And same thing with her. I have access because she lets me close to those tender, vulnerable spots in a way that nobody else on the planet does.
3: Yeah, so because buttons are our wounds, um, we actually become afraid of having those pushed, for instance mine are that I'm afraid I I kind of protect and I I get afraid of being controlled I might be afraid Mm -hmm. or have a tender kind of heart for being uh supported I might you know with approval and valued and validation so those are kind of tender spots for me among other ones (laughs) but um so what we think though is that like Bob said is that he pushed my button, and so then I have this external reaction, the above water stuff that goes on, and start blaming him for pushing my button. But what we try to tell couples is that instead of blaming the, your spouse, is that you actually can feel a button go off. It actually kind of makes your, you might get like um, Uh, feeling across your brow or or palpitations in your heart or you get a flushed feeling about you or you get upset and kind of you feel that energy of anger coming on you so when you feel that you can actually go to the Lord instead and say oh oh, my button just got pushed I'm going to take some time and talk to God about this
1: yeah so what we teach in the intensive obviously understanding the reactive cycle doesn't actually take you to a better place But it does help people to identify what's going on so that this unconscious reactive spin can be turned into something conscious. And once you're aware, like Jenny just said, you go, whoo-wee, I am triggered, I am stirred up. And we ask clients all the time to say, okay, what happens in your body that's the tip-off that you had a button pushed? How do you know it, it, and it's a little different for everybody. We literally go from client to client when we're in a group and say, so what physiologically happens for you? Because it's like the red light flashing on the dashboard and you say, whoa, I am stirred up. And then you wake up and you become conscious and then what we want people to see is what the options are different than just continually reacting in the unconscious spin. What alternatives do you have that you could do that would be more righteous, more loving, more caring, more true to who God created you to be more Christ-like. So this is just something to wake people up to what's happening below the waterline so it opens up an array of possibilities and alternatives to be more righteous and to create a better, more satisfying relationship.
3: So when our button gets pushed, a lot of times what we're feeling inside of us is what we really want also at the same time. Oh, I wish we had this in our marriage. My list of wants are that I want to be heard, supported, approved, valued, and validation, and typically I have like three pages of wants, okay? But, uh, <laughs> but what we have, it, have come to find out that what your wants are are those things that God has given you that you are passionate about. So it is not the responsibility of someone else to give you your wants. Instead, we can get to know our wants, find out what God has given us that we are passionate about, grow those in the Lord, and then bring those into our relationship, our family, our community, and our world. That's what our wants are. I know it's really, really hard to not try to get your wants met from your spouse or even your kids and your friends. But it is very, very valuable.
1: And to to just reiterate what Jenny's saying, I think it's so powerful. And we didn't realize this at first. A lot of these things we've just stumbled onto, and we've had these divine uh, inspirational moments where we realize that we just tapped into something that's true to God's heart and God's design. Mm -hmm. And what Jenny's saying that I think is so worth repeating is that the, the things that are the desires of our heart our longings of ours because they reflect something that God created in us. The fact that she wants to be heard is because she values being heard, so she is a person who naturally listens really carefully to people because that's a reflection of who God created her to be. She wants to feel supported, and she is very supportive of others. She wants to feel approved, and it's amazing how much affirmation and approval Jenny's capable of giving to people, because that's reflective of who she is, not just what she wants from me and from others.
3: I actually, when I learned this, I actually was not good at hearing others. I was really good at talking, and when, I, when the Lord really revealed this to me and he showed me that, um, that he's really good at listening because when we pray, how much of the conversation in prayer is uh, us talking to him? Yeah, so we don't do a real good job of listening to the Lord and he's a really good listener to us and he said, I want you to become a really good listener and when I did, I felt so more balanced because I wanted to be heard And now I was spending time learning how to hear others, and it was really a passion of mine that I had not cultivated. And so that's another thing that we do is we really encourage people to cultivate their wants.
1: So for over 22 years, we have been learning now so many things about God's design for life, God's design for marriage, what works and what doesn't. And what we've realized is that it doesn't just work for couples in crisis. Mm -hmm. It actually works. These ideas, these principles, these tools work every bit as well and maybe better for couples who are just doing good and want to do better. For the average couple out there, so what we've been doing now for years is trying to figure out ways to package this information in books and in, and in events and so forth to get the word out to the masses because, guys, this is kingdom work. What we need more than anything is for the church to demonstrate that what we claim to be true about a relationship with Jesus Christ is not just true in theory, but it is true in real time. Because our marriages in the church as a result of our knowledge and our relationship with Christ should be materially better, different than those that are not walking with Christ.
0: Dr. Bob Paul of the Focus on the Family Marriage Institute and
2: our Hope Restored Intensives on today's episode of Focus on the Family. Well, I really appreciate the transparency Bob and Jenny shared in this message. And I hope you found some insights for your own marriage. We're running out of time today, but let me quickly mention that we have a great follow-up resource to this broadcast. It's a book written by Bob Paul and Greg Smalley called Nine Lies That Will Destroy Your Marriage and the Truths That Will Save It and Set It Free. Yeah, this is a great book, and some of the lies that Bob and
0: Greg identify are those that tend uh, to be believed by a lot of us, like, oh, they lived happily ever after, or all you need is love. And uh, our differences are irreconcilable.
2: Yeah, and those lies can be very destructive. This book is published by Focus on the Family, and I really want to get it out to as many couples as possible. Uh, So we'll send you a copy of Nine Lies That Will Destroy Your Marriage for a donation of any amount. And if you can't afford it, get in touch with us. We'll trust others will cover that. Remember, when you get the book from Focus, the proceeds go right back into ministry, not into the pockets of shareholders. Support our work to enrich marriages by ordering the book today. And you can reach us when you call
0: 800-232-6459. Or donate online and request your copy of the book at focusonthefamily.com broadcast. While you're online, look for an article that Bob and Jenny have provided that illustrates the cyclical nature of their argument and the hot buttons that got pushed along the way. It's really helpful to see that. It's free, and it's right there on the website. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned.
4: It's not that we want to prevent our kids from entering these worrisome environments. It's that we want to equip them and also give them the language that they know how to handle it.
0: Christy Straub joins us today on Focus on the Family along with her husband, Dr. Josh Straub, and together they're gonna to offer some ways and some tools to help your child manage worry in a healthy way. Thanks for joining us today. Your host is Focus President
2: and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, every child has worries that come and go as part of growing up. I remember being afraid of the dark, and you know that there's just those common childhood fears, and those are kind of normal experiences uh, for kids to go through. It's part of life to have that kind of anxiety. In many scenarios, fear is a healthy response. You want your child to know fight or flight, right? You don't want to be in the wrong place without thinking, I better get out of here. So it's not bad. Uh, today, we're going to offer some advice so you can equip your child to manage fear in a healthy way, not to eliminate it. And mom and dad, let me tell you, if you're trying to eliminate fear, you're you're not going about it in the right way. You need to equip your children to manage that fear.
0: And our guests have a great little book called, What Do I Do With Worry? And uh, it's a kid's book that has some great principles in it. Uh, get your copy at Focus on the Family. Uh, it's Dr. Josh and Christy Straub, as I mentioned, uh, they're popular broadcast guests, and they co-founded Famous at Home, which trains leaders in
2: emotional intelligence and promotes healthy families. Josh and Christy, welcome back. It's so good to see you.
4: Thanks for having us. We yeah. love yes. to be here.
5: Always what, an honor.
2: What a great uh, theme. You know, we're, we're kind of coming out of a turbulent time with yeah. the pandemic and all. Yeah. And uh, let's start there. Um, That fear that children are feeling right now, generally, um, how do you go about parenting
5: that? Yeah, it's a big, loaded question. I think, you know, one of the most important factors is being able to look at identifying in your children maybe um, changes in behavior, patterns that have changed over time in your children's behavior and, and and this is where we have to become students of our kids mm-hmm. because every child is different and every child manages their emotions differently. For example, you might have some children who just withdraw. And they they go into hiding. You know, it's like they, they become more quiet. Uh, other kids might be on the other end of the spectrum and they start acting out. And you you think that it's behavioral. You think that they're being defiant. You mm-hmm. think that they're, uh, you know, disrespecting you. When the reality is, is that underneath that, there's something deeper going on. And then most of us, I think, in the middle of this is you might just start seeing you know, changes with school, changes with the way that they're interacting with their, you know, uh, peers at school, grades, uh, the schoolwork, and, and they withdraw. And so there's a lot of different ways, but you have to be able to, and I think this is where as parents, we have to become students of our kids to kind of pay attention to that. And in the busy world that we live in, we as parents also have those fears. So, right. you know, you're asking how, how as parents, how do we, how do we parent this um, ultimately, we can get to this. I think it starts with us as parents. We have to figure out how to be managing our own fears so that we're not uh, superimposing our own fears onto our kids. Boy,
2: that's so true. Christy, uh, your son Landon was starting a new school, and he wasn't acting like himself. Completely understandable all the yeah. anxiety of having to... Make new friends, and what will people think of me? I mean, I can get that. I went to seven different elementary schools oh, growing wow. up in six years. So I mean, so I get that yes. transition anxiety. Yeah. I think it did help me to be more of a people person, ironically, because mm-hmm. I had to make friends. You mm-hmm. know, every year was yeah. a new class, a new school, and uh, but speak to your son Landon's anxieties. How did mm-hmm. how did you figure out what was going on underneath the surface?
4: Yeah, and I think Jim, like just like you're saying. I think often we look at worry as if it's this big, scary thing. Even as parents, we don't want to see it in our kids. Like we want them to walk in, be confident, you know, you know who you are. We're trying to establish, you know, who they are in God and right. And and this identity in them, but worry is just a normal part of life. Like Mm. we have to understand as parents, if we have a fear, anxiety, or a worry script going on in our own heads, when we see it in our kids, we feel it magnified it feels worse to us for a child they could just be experiencing a normal fear going to a new school that's a normal worry like and also it's building in us things like you've just said you learned how to adapt in social situations it's not that we want to prevent our kids from entering these worrisome environments yeah it's that we want to equip them and also give them the language that they know how to handle it and so for landon when he started going to the school we noticed it was it was coming out behaviorally and so you will see like sometimes and we talk about and what do i do with worry what ifs right where the question always starts it's what if and it's where our mind starts spinning and we go down you know the end of the the road of like well, what if if the teacher doesn't like me? Or what if I don't have friends? Or what if I walk in and I I forget the kid's name? What if I don't have anyone to sit with at the lunch table? And if if we don't pay attention as parents, you start to realize our kids, and so often I think their worries are not what we assume them to be. They're actually very different than the things that we might assume they're worried about. And that's where, like Josh is saying, it's just being a student to be... And to lean in and to just ask the right questions to get beneath it, really. Because for Landon, we realized some of those insecurities for him were so, I mean, you almost want to laugh in in some ways at what some of the the fears are.
2: Well, and one of the things you're stressing, I want to stress even further, being that student of your child, Mm -hmm. um, I think that's so critical. And in our adult busyness. You know, we, we can go right by that, and we just think it's behavioral, and then we respond to that, you know, go to your room for the next hour or some kind of disciplinary mm-hmm. issue, and we're really missing the deeper cry of our child's right. heart. Yeah. And that, that then can set you up yeah. for a disastrous relationship with your kids because then they're they're not knowing if they can trust you. Yeah, And even if they can't articulate it, you have to be the adult to say, okay, let's talk about this. What are you feeling? What's going on in your life right now? But it takes time to do that. you got to slow down and talk.
4: And I think, too, we can't be afraid of what we're going to find. I think so often parents ignore it because we're afraid of what's going on underneath.
2: Well, certainly by age. Yes. I mean, you have that conversation with a teenager. It's different than with your five-year-old.
4: Exactly. Let's
2: talk about that. What are some of those signs that you see? by age and stage if i could say it that way you know in a five-year-old what are signs maybe then a 10 12 year old then a
5: 15 year old yeah great question and i think you know um and i want to speak to this even as adults because how, how we manifest fear as adults too you know because it's yeah. it, developmentally you know it goes on well these are let me ask you i mean yeah. you're a phd uh, these
2: are uh, patterns that are developed in your childhood yeah. that mm. you will carry into adulthood 100%. if you're not taught or you don't learn
5: when we suppress emotion, how to manage them. you can't suppress you know it's it's interesting uh, solomon wrote this in proverbs 24 he said uh, patience is better than power and controlling one's emotions than capturing a city huh. you know and the idea there is if you can't identify your emotion mm-hmm. you know it's going to have control of you Right. And so, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, I think we're, as parents, we're so afraid, as Christy was saying earlier, of what's really going to come out. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, if we ask, we're going to lose control over it. And the reality is, if you don't ask is when you'll lose control over Good. it. Because we suppress, we deny, yeah. uh, or we repress these emotions. That's when it gets dangerous in us as adults, as children. And I think what's interesting today is, is, and again, just becoming students of your children The danger is, especially as you hit those teenage years, you know, in five year olds, uh, you know, preschoolers, you can see it behaviorally, you could see it, you know, as I mentioned earlier, withdrawing, um, you know, maybe there's some changes in social situations. But as you get up into those 10, 11, 12 and teenage years, what we're doing now is finding is, you know, screens are a major problem as it relates to how we suppress emotion, even as adults. You know, we turn to screens instead of being able to sit with our emotion and be able to experience our emotion. We use screens to numb it out. And I think especially in those preteen years. Games, uh, video games for boys. This is generally speaking, but video games for boys typically. And then social media uh, for girls and the idea of building social relationships. Uh, Those preteen years are really, really difficult years uh, for teenage girls trying to find where do they fit in relationships. And, And so if we as parents aren't paying attention or we're just giving them the screen and letting them kind of do their thing, we're building a wall between our heart and their hearts. Right. Well, that, and that's the next
2: question I wanted to ask you, what our kids see in us as parents, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, sometimes I'm feeling good about that analysis, and <laughs> other times yeah. I'm feeling like, what damage have I done? Yes. And in this area of worry, particularly, we as parents can be demonstrating worry without even knowing it, mm-hmm. and our kids are picking up on it. If mom and dad are worried, yes. I should be worried. Mm-hmm. Yes. So speak to that modeling mm-hmm. that, especially as Christians, you know, fear not. Mm -hmm. Um, I give you a spirit of peace. I mean, that's what the Lord's expecting Mm -hmm. out of our relationship, that we have ultimate faith in him to control and be in every circumstance that Mm -hmm. we find ourselves in. But sometimes we fail trusting in that. And then our kids are watching too.
4: Oh, exactly. I mean, talking about like love, power, and a sound mind, right? But what does a sound mind look like? And obviously, we're not going to get that right all of the time. And I think that's the... The beautiful thing, if we can see it through a lens of grace for ourselves and maybe, you know, even as you're listening, you could probably put yourself on a scale, zero to 10. how big, for example, we're talking about worry specifically today. So for worry, how loud is that volume in your life? Mm. Because for those of us who it's not as loud for me personally. But for those parents who maybe they've struggled with anxiety.
5: It's louder for me. It's
4: I, I wasn't going to like throw you <laughs> under the bus. Was I was just waiting for you, waiting to, for you to volunteer that. To but um, And yes, and so <laughs> it's true. And so based on that, though, you are going to be so much more heightened to seeing that in your child. And just that's no condemnation. It's just being aware of. So if you're aware that worry is louder for you, just recognize that how you deal with it is... Um, it's not just your personal practice it's your ability to share that gift with your kids
2: oh and their eyes are wide open and they're they're watching
4: and they're watching you and you don't have to do it perfectly yeah I remember one time my daughter came home and again at least for her and what we often see for girls social situations Mm -hmm. for boys as well but for girls they're so attuned to social cues but again don't have the tools to know how to engage as they're growing up and so for her a lot of worry comes around social situations and I remember telling her a story when I was in first grade and I went out to the recess playground and I walked over to this group of girls I remember it like it was yesterday they were standing along this fence line and I walked up and I just thought I would just be able to play with them you know and I just walked up and this girl comes out like a bouncer <laughs> and she says to me what's on your zipper I'm like, and I grew up in Canada, right? So we're like wearing coats all the time. So I'm like, on my zipper, what? And so if you didn't have the letters YYK on your zipper, you weren't allowed to play with
2: them. That was the YYK club. Yes. <laughs> I see. And I remember,
4: I just like, in that moment, like it was the first time I experienced true rejection Right. and I realized I have no control. Like I don't set the rules. Wow. There's these arbitrary set of social rules that I don't know. Mm. And someone else gets to tell me whether I'm included or not. And I remember walking away and just that imprinted something on me so that every time I entered a social situation as a kid, even up through high school, college, even into adulthood, that trigger of that wound is like, hmm. do I, I don't know if I'll be accepted here. Wow. And so if you think about that for our kids, I mean, on the playground, first grade, I, I remember sharing that story with my daughter, and I—it was like her eyes got so big to realize, "Oh, it's not just me. Mm. Mom, mom feels this too. Mom struggles with worry too."
0: Yeah, yeah. This is focused on the family with Jim Daly, and our guests today are Dr. Josh Straub and his wife Christy, and we're talking about worry, particularly as it relates to your child. But I think there's application for all of us yes. here as we deal with emotions and especially worry. And we'll encourage you, if you're a parent or a grandparent, to get a copy of their great little picture book, What Do I Do With Worry? It's got all the concepts that Christy was just describing. Stop by focusonthefamily.ca to get a copy or call 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-AND-THE-WORD-FAMILY. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment.
4: I'm here asking people what happens when you turn 70 and a half. You get
0: free ice cream for life?
1: Uh, you get more senior discounts?
4: When you turn 70 and a half, you're eligible for an IRA charitable rollover, and you can give that to Focus on the Family. You can find out more at FocusPlannedGiving.com. Reduce your taxable income and help families thrive for generations to come. It's a gift
5: that appreciates, and we appreciate you for giving it.
0: You know that situation your family's facing? It's okay to ask for professional help. Focus on the Family's Christian Counselors Network can confidentially point you to a trusted therapist near you. We've been connecting families to verified Christian counselors for more than 40 years. Find a way forward for your family at focusonthefamily.com gethelp get help. That's focusonthefamily.com gethelp get help. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming.
2: Josh, let me pick up on what Christy was mentioning there. You you, you experienced anxiety as a child. I Hmm. guess the right question is what was going on and speak to that as an adult now and what that was like and what helped you.
5: Yeah, and it's interesting because I don't know that I would have identified it um, as worry at the time, but at 10 years of age, uh my parents divorced and i remember my mom coming into the bedroom and you know she said josh i'm moving out today do you want to stay here with your dad or do you want to come with me Mm. and um wow that's pressure yeah that's crazy 10 years old and i had never seen my parents argue i'd never seen my parents fight and so later on that afternoon you know there's this exchange in our driveway because my dad comes home and, you know, he's seeing his world come crumbling down. My mom's moving out. And there was an exchange there for me as a firstborn. There was an exchange there where I looked at my dad and I said, I'm staying here with you. And, and I didn't say this, but it was as if I was saying, I'm going to take care of you. I'm yeah. going to, you know, this is uh, hard. And so as a result, what ended up happening then, and then at 19, and today I have an amazing relationship with my mom. She and I have reconciled so much through the years. She's incredible, credible grandma and 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 everything. But for me, having to reconcile that and then at 19 I found out that uh or my dad's second wife left him and she took everything and so I go out, and, you know, I'm working landscaping while I'm in college and I go out and I take care of him and buy all the furniture and everything to get him back on his feet. And it's like there was this me taking responsibility uh more than I needed to for other people. Yeah. And that transferred over. I didn't really feel it until we had a family and, and uh, I was crashing and burning I was taking on all these responsibilities and I'd work really hard and then I'd crash and burn. And it was fascinating to me how this pattern, uh, when I entered therapy, was it took me back to that driveway scene. Yeah. It took me back to that very moment where I realized all this responsibility I was hanging on to went back to there. And the anxiety that I was feeling about you know making sure everybody was okay and that I was you know became a people that pleaser, you were responsible. That I was yeah and, yeah, and that people were okay with me and that we yeah. were and this anxiety about people will abandon me if I'm not you know dancing mm. in relationships really well. But even today, this is where parents, I think, we become the most profound therapists for our kids in our home. Yeah, because neurobiologically, what's going on is what happens to us, the worry that we're feeling is happening in the right side of the brain. The left side of the brain is the linguistic language part of the brain. It's where we put language to what it is we're experiencing. And our ability as parents, as Christy was saying earlier, to get our kids to label what they're feeling, to draw what it is they're feeling, is what marries the right and left side of the brain together to help them tell their story. And, and, and Paul talks about this in Philippians 4, which I think is amazing. I mean, neurobiologically, he understood how our brain worked when he said, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What he's saying there is, go to God with your worry. Mm-hmm. With thanksgiving and gratitude that he's going to show up for you yeah. mm-hmm. and label it to him.
2: Well, I I so appreciate the way you're balancing that because some listening are going, okay, you know, we're talking a little bit about psychology. Mm -hmm. They get a little uncomfortable with that. Mm -hmm. But really, any science is unfolding God's creation. And as Christians, that's how we need to look at it. It's not some mystery. I mean, science will, I think, unfold the truth of God's creation, right?
5: Well, and I think, I mean, this is where I see fear and worry as being a gift. You know, that worry can be used as a way to build Intimacy, you know, and scripture says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Huh. Worry helps us to understand who we can trust in life. Worry helps us to understand how to be vulnerable with the right people. And if we negate that, the opposite is moving to anxiety, like I was doing, where I'm dancing in relationships, maybe withdrawing, not engaging, not partnering with people because I'm afraid, well, you might hurt me. So we put walls up. Whereas if we can tap into fear in a healthy way and worry in a healthy way, it leads us to intimacy in relationships, Mm -hmm. the awe and wonder of God who's showing up and saying, I've got you. I love you. You have nothing to fear because I am with you. It's the beginning of wisdom as adults, but also we help our children understand Mm -hmm. you can walk in the ways of the Lord. And this leads to intimacy. Use your worry in a healthy way, and yeah you're set up for intimacy That's so true
2: let's uh we're right at the tail end but let's get into the book a little bit further uh your book's about a little girl named willow Uh, give us the overview of the story and what kids will read with their parents when they get a copy
4: yeah well willow she's moved to a new neighborhood and obviously as we experience change in our life it just mounts up a whole bunch of worries um and that's normal if you're afraid for your kids I think especially with the environment of the world right now and in the examples that we used in the book where she's her grandma comes in and she's helping her process she's worried she doesn't know what to wear will the kids um, you know, how, Will they accept her? Will she make friends? And so grandma walks her through, even just sharing her own stories, how to release her worry words to God, how how she can draw and the things that she can do every time she faces a worry, because your life will never be devoid of it. But you have the tools. And really, she walks out and she's brave.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a great read. And what it does is it facilitates that dialogue yep. and gives you the tools as a yep. parent or maybe a grandparent to be able to know... Uh, kind of the course you're going with your kids. So, you know, there's a purpose and you know where you're headed. Let me uh, bring in, you know, we're in a kind of that post-pandemic or nearly post-pandemic environment all of the research that we're seeing with the heightened anxiety in children because of what's been happening Mm -hmm. i mean do i go to school with a mask without a mask and how do i how do i behave as a third grader i mean there's a lot more on children today in a very destabilized environment Um, i think i read something from the cdc where anxiety is up in, you know, significantly 25% Mm -hmm. of those 14 to 24 have suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. I mean, we need to be paying attention to
5: our kids right now because they need us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the idea of isolating is just, it's not, you know, we were designed for relationship, we were designed for community. Even there's a study out of Brown University that found that, you know, verbal, social, and cognitive uh, development is being stunted in children born during the pandemic, because you know, when adults wear masks, you know, children learn to speak by watching you. Your, they, your, re- they read your, your lips. lips; they right. literally watch your yeah. lips, and 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 children learn emotional expression and facial cues all the way up to age twelve, and so we're seeing this developmental delay, speech delays, uh, and I think we're going to continue to see that. And, and it's difficult because as parents, we're in a world where it's like, okay, we're, we're trying to manage illness, we're trying to manage and make sure that we're staying healthy.
2: Maybe elderly parents. Elderly yeah. parents,
5: yeah. you know, and so we gotta, we wanna manage really well and be wise about how we're navigating the world around us. But at the same time, we also know that some of the ways that we do that are also hindering. And so it's like, how do we balance that? And I think it really begins with us as parents. We've got to be able to find someone we can talk to. We've got yeah. to limit our the, the news sources, the, the, the fear that comes in through news sources. We've got to limit that around our kids. You know, of course, it's important to watch what's happening in the world. But if you don't have a way, if you don't have an outlet for yourself as a parent, as an adult, that will come back into you whether you realize it or not there is a trickle-down effect of fear in your home from you the parent and so I think it starts with us the parents I think we've got to be able to have people we can talk to before we talk to our kids about it
2: yeah no that's so good I'm thinking of uh, Jean my wonderful wife who once said to me because I'm you know I'm in the role here at Focus I know things are going on in the culture I'm reading a lot of reports that come to me mm-hmm. and so I'd come home and you know I'd be talking with Jean about it or the boys maybe at dinner saying hey boys what do you guys think mm-hmm. and Jean had to say you know Jim you might you might want to yeah. you know I think you're filling the kids with fear talking mm-hmm. about all the wrong things that are going on in the country right now yeah. and that did that helped me to arrest uh, my overzealousness <laughs> yeah because the kids were there like there's no hope in that And I think that'd be a great caution for a lot of Christian parents right now. With all of the things going on, we've got to allow the idea that the Lord is in control here,
5: everybody. And if I can say like, I just think now is the opportunity more than ever for us as as adults and Christians, as Bible-believing Christians, to experience joy and to show people hope. I mean, that's if the thing, too. Yeah. I mean, truly. Yeah. And, and to exude that in our home. So, we're huge about the atmosphere of our home, paying attention to the mm-hmm. atmosphere of our home. Is, it, is Do we experience a spirit of fear, or are we exuding a spirit of joy, a spirit of peace, mm-hmm. you know, by playing worship music or by even the way that we're interacting with one another and how mm-hmm. we're transferring that to our kids? And so that's huge because, you know, there's a lot of times I'll, I'll ask our kids, you know, what are you worried about or what's, going, you know, wh- what are you feeling today? And it might be like, oh, I'm really worried, dad, or I'm really sad. And we're like, you know, in inside I'm going, okay, what's going on? What's going on? And then you're like, oh, wow, that's all that it is. Okay. So, you know, it's like, I mean, I'm not yeah. minimizing it, but you realize the worries that they're carrying often aren't what we think. Yeah. And if we lead with what we think it might be, what you're doing is you're planting a, a bigger seed of worry in their brain right. than what they're really worried about. And it's unnecessary. No,
2: I so appreciate that. And it was great, at Gene. to call me out on that. Yeah. You guys, this is a great book. What do I do with worry? And what a resource for parents mm-hmm. to have to help their children at all ages Mm -hmm. to really understand how to manage this life and worry. Mm -hmm. And I hope, uh, you know, the listeners will get in touch with us to get a copy. Mm -hmm. And as we often do, let me just invite you into ministry here. If you can make a gift of any amount, uh, if you can do that monthly, that's great. But a one-time gift works too. And we'll send you a copy of the book as our way of saying thank you for being part of the ministry.
0: Yeah, just give us a call. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by com slash broadcast. And this reminder that we're here to be a resource for you. Uh, so please visit our website if you're not sure how to help your child with worry. Uh, we have help there for talking to your kids about what's going on in Ukraine, and other difficult topics of note. And we have caring Christian counselors just a phone call away if you're really struggling with how to best help your child. To set up a time with one of those counselors, stop by focusonthefamily.com broadcast or call 800-AFAMILY. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family.